We'll be reading from the book of John, chapter 11. John, chapter 11. The whole chapter is devoted to a, an event that is so rich in detail that I, I can't really cover the whole event uh, in one sermon because of, of course, uh, time considerations. It's going to take just the, the first part of this narrative and look at some details to get the second half of this narrative uh, and what happens next, so to speak. You'll just have to come back tonight because we'll be splitting up into to two parts just because of time constraints. And, you know, we talked about earlier that uh, some people are out of church because they're traveling for the holiday, uh, the Thanksgiving holidays. Of course, holidays are all about family, and family's important. Uh, and the Wednesday before Thanksgiving is the single most traveled day of the year in America. 55 million people will travel over the couple of days that involve the Thanksgiving holiday. 4.7 million of those will fly. That leaves 50 million people, over 50 million people are on the highways during the Thanksgiving holidays. I saw a, uh, a screenshot of the Arkansas Department of Transportation camera on I-30 right there at uh, Caddo Valley. And both lanes were bumper to bumper on Wednesday. Both lanes of the interstate, bumper to bumper. I mean, it was something. A lot of people travel. In the 12-day period between November 17th and the 28th, 30 million people will fly over that week or so period right there. So we understand all of these people, where are they going? Well, they're going home. Wherever they're living now, they're going home. And you know where home is? Wherever family is. Because we realize on holidays like this that family is important. And obviously it's important to everybody. And it's a notable, historical, and it's something, you know, people take notice. It's all over the news that more people travel during this holiday week, the Thanksgiving week, so they can be at home. John lists seven miracles in his gospel. And all seven of them are listed in detail. And all seven of them involved a statement of Jesus concerning who he is and what he can do. The purpose of these miracles is outlined in chapter 20, verse 30, when he said, there, Jesus did so many more things that we can list, but if, if we could list them, this, this book or all the other books couldn't hold them. But he said, these are written. These are written that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And believing, you might have eternal life in his name. These are listed. Now, when you look at these in detail, the very first miracle that Jesus performed and that's listed in the book of John is the wedding Cana and Galilee, a family event, a big family event. People would come from all over. Weddings were the big family event of, of, of a lifetime. And of course, Jesus turned the water to wine and he honored that family event. And so everybody was there at that family event. This is the last 
of the seven miracles before the cross. It's at another family event, a funeral. There are family events too. And people would come and people would gather. I think it's notable that the first miracle, the wedding of Cana in Galilee, the very last miracle, which is the most notable of all miracles, involved more than any other miracles, family. And it just underscores how important family is to Jesus, how important our families are to him, and how important he states that family should be to us. So I want to look at this passage of Scripture, take some details out of the first part of the narrative, and then tonight we'll look at some other details that perhaps we've never even considered before. John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Would you stand as the Scripture's read, please? John chapter 11 beginning in verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he had heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. After this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not with him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Jesus, the disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death that they thought he was speaking of taking rest and sleep. Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. And Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also that may we die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. Many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is to come into the world. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word that clearly records the miracles of Jesus. And Father, we clearly believe that Jesus did what was humanly impossible. 
These were written for our learning, that we can learn some things through every detail in this narrative. Help us, Father, to see these things, and don't let us miss the things that are important to your message in our lives, and we may find our place in your plan for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Let's look at the family. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Jesus had a home away from home, and that home was found in a town, Bethany. It was just a couple of miles away from Jerusalem. It is mentioned in Matthew chapter 21 about Jesus going to Bethany. It is mentioned in Mark chapter 11, Jesus going to Bethany. We know, of course, when he went to Bethany, he was most likely or pretty much had to be at this home. In Luke chapter 10, Luke gives us an even more detailed account. You remember it says that, that Jesus was in the home of Mary and Martha in Bethany, and you know the story. When Jesus came, not only did Jesus come, but there were 12 other hungry guys with him. So there was Martha scurrying around in the kitchen. You remember that? She was so busy. And Mary, of course, was taking every opportunity to be at Jesus' feet. Martha, of course, comes and interrupts the Bible lesson and says, you got to tell her to come in here, give me some help. And he says, Martha, you're just so preoccupied over the things that aren't really necessary. But she was just really wanting to do a good job, but that was the house. And now, of course, here it is in the book of John, the same house. And so we understand all four Gospels mention this home, this family, where Jesus would have a family and a home and somewhere to relax and somewhere to be loved. Jesus' love for them is specifically mentioned two times in this passage of Scripture. The message that he gotten was not just, Lazarus is sick. They said this, the messenger came and said, the one you love is sick. Wow. Of all the things that could be said about Lazarus, and I'm sure there were several, the one thing they pinpointed is Jesus loved him. Now the word that was here is the word phileo. Jesus loved him like a brother. Jesus loved him like a brother. Now, this came from the sisters, or it may come from the messenger, but we know that it was notable. And then, later on, it says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. This is in verse 5. John noticed that. This is quite interesting. He used another word for love. The word that John used was agape. You see, agape love is a much higher love than brotherly love. They said, the one you love like a brother. And that's a great thing. I think that's, we ought to love each other like brothers and sisters. But when John said Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he made a point. He made a point to make this specific statement. He used the word agape. The word agape is that God-type love, the highest part of love. John saw that and he identified that. This close relationship is noted in something that looks like a mistake in the book of John. In verse 2, it says that it was Mary that anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. 
Now we look at this, and then if you read through the book of John, you know when this event happens? The next chapter. It happens several days after that. And you might say, poor John couldn't get a fact straight, so he talks about an event that hadn't happened, or that hadn't yet happened yet, and then he has to go back and say that it happened. But you have to understand, the book of John was written years after the other three Gospels were written. The book of John was written so late. What has happened is this. Number one, the other Gospel writers had mentioned this in Matthew chapter 26, Mark chapter 14. Both of those Gospels had circulated around. And... Because of the love this family had for Jesus and the home that they had and the very close relationship that he had with this family, it was so notable, so well known, that John could put this information in this narrative and everybody say, oh, okay, it was that Mary. Because there were several Marys that were in the Scripture. And so when John put this in here, it wasn't because he forgot where he was in his story. It's simply because he knew that everybody who read this gospel, the early church, the early group, and the early family of believers were so close-knit, this family, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, was well-known. Why? Because they were so close to Jesus. This was the family, one of the closest households to Jesus in his earthly ministry. That was the family. Now we see a seeming contradiction. Here's a family that's so close to Jesus, so close that everybody knew it, and John could stick this in here and do Everybody knew who he was talking about. The emergency is this. The sister sent to him and said, the Lord, he whom you love is sick. The word sick here, interestingly, is the same word that's used in another miracle when the lame man was put by, beside the pool of Bethesda. It says in, in uh, John chapter 5, Jesus says, don't, don't you want to be well? And it says the sick man in the New King James. I believe the King James says the impotent man. And some, some English translations say the helpless man. This is the same word. The word here means weak, helpless, but it also sinking. So, in other words, they were telling Jesus, not, he didn't just say, he whom you love is sick. He whom you love is helpless, and he is sinking fast. This is serious business. Now, this is a seeming contradiction. And this is a contradiction that sometimes even we'll point out. Why did this happen to Lazarus if Jesus loved him so much? That's how we read this. Behold, you love Lazarus, but he's sick. But if you look at this statement, there's an often unseen comfort. We overlook this because of our human perspective. And God understands this. We'll get to that. First of all, Lazarus was sick. Was he the only sick person in the town of Bethany at that time? Probably not. Was he the only person in the entire world that would ever, ever get sick? You say, of course not. Everybody would eventually get sick, wouldn't we? Every one of us would get sick. Was this the, the first time that Lazarus had ever been sick? Probably not. 
Was this the first person in, in, in the whole year or in the whole world that had ever been that serious? No. You see, sickness was a universal, as we had mentioned earlier, a universal equalizer, and everybody would get sick from time to time. Everybody would get seriously sick from time to time. Everybody would get terminally sick at one time. Every single person. It was common along everybody. But we read this, say, Lazarus, uh, Jesus loved Lazarus, but he was sick. Like this was some exception, like this is some major contradiction. Let's look at another viewpoint. Lazarus is sick, and he's sinking, but Jesus loved him. Wow. Doesn't that put it in a different perspective? This is bad. It is serious. And sickness had come to this family that had come to all about the other families in Bethlehem. But now it's in our house, and Lazarus is sick. But Jesus loved him. That changes the picture. Past description that we look at, and this is a reflection of the 103rd Psalm, if you want to turn. Hundred and third Psalm, verse thirteen. Psalms one hundred three, verse thirteen. As a father pities his children, the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we're dust. This word pity does not mean to feel sorry for us. In the original Hebrew, it's a real strong word, and I like this word. It doesn't just say the Father loves those that fear him. The word here is the Father cherishes those that fear him. And it says this, he remembers our frame, and he remembers we're dust. We are so fragile. Health is so fragile. We are so weak. We are so frail. He remembers this. He knows we're dust. He knows our frame. But he cherishes us anyway. So that's when Jesus could be so understanding when later on in the narrative, Martha falls at his feet and says, if you'd have been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. If only you had been here, and we don't know if there's a hint of maybe a little anger, maybe a little regret, maybe a, a little bit of irritation with Jesus here, but you know if it was, Jesus could take it. Why? Because he knows our frame. He, he knows we're dust, and he knows we're, we're prone to fall to pieces when somebody we love gets sick. We're prone to fall to pieces when we lose somebody. And then we feel so ashamed. Oh, my faith ought to be stronger than that. He knows our frame. He remembers we're dust and he cherishes us. Not despite the fact that we're fragile, but because of the fact that we're fragile. We read this and say, now Jesus loved Lazarus, but Lazarus was sick. We read it this way. Jesus loved Lazarus and Lazarus was sick. He loved him. Then we have an appropriate plan of action. What happened? Lazarus is sick. Lazarus is getting worse by the minute. Lazarus is sinking. 
and it says, the sisters sent to Jesus. What that meant is they sent a messenger. And here's the plan of action. They realized things were getting serious. And they said this, would somebody go talk to Jesus? Would somebody talk to Jesus about what's going on here? So they sent a messenger. Somebody tell Jesus what's happening here and note their confidence. They didn't say, tell Jesus, he better get back here and better start doing something. All they said was, just tell him, Lazarus is sick and sinking fast. Just tell him. And they left the rest of it up to Jesus. You know why they did that? Because they knew Jesus loved Lazarus too. So they said, the one you love is sick. We know you love him. And all we're doing is going to tell you about him. You see, they just said, you go tell Jesus we're hurting here. And when it comes to prayer, that's all he needs to know. I'm reminded of, of Hezekiah. Oh, Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 19, one of the kings around him and sent him a letter and said, man, you are toast. It is so bad for you. I'm about to come and take over your country and don't think your God can save you from me. And he starts pointing to the other countries that he had just pretty much demolished. And he wrote it in a letter. A messenger came and handed it to him. And it says that Hezekiah, when he got that letter, he took it up to his chambers, just him and God, and he said, all he did was spread the letter out and said, would you read this, God? Look at what's going on. He, did, he didn't give God instructions. He didn't make a wish list. All he did was say, Lord, would you just look at this? Here's the reason that's the plan of action is that as much as I may be involved in an emergency, I don't know half of the picture, but God does. I don't know how to give God instructions. And sometimes, face it, aren't some of our problems so complicated when it comes to family issues or relationship issues or things just came unraveled? How could it get all this bad And when health issues are so bad? Aren't things so complicated? I don't even know what to ask for. Or if I didn't know what to ask for, it's going to take me too long. All I can do is say, Lord, this hurts. And I'm really sad. And that's all they told him. Because they trusted Jesus. Now, here's where it involves us. You may not be going through a tough time right now. Maybe you can be that messenger to go to Jesus on behalf of somebody else. You ever thought about that guy? That guy took the effort to travel one day's journey. They were about 25 miles away, as you look in the preceding chapter. 25 miles away. One guy took the effort. Lazarus is, is sick, and it's just, his sisters are sad. This is bad. I'm going to go talk to Jesus about it. They sent him on up there. That's what you can do. And that's what I can do. We see we have people all over us that are hurting. And we don't even have to, to give Jesus any instructions. Just say, Lord, they're hurting. And you love them. And just let Jesus sort it out. 
Or want somebody to go tell Jesus? Or want somebody to go talk to Jesus about it? That's what we're here for, isn't it? That's what you have a church family for. The prayer warriors, we call them. The prayer team. Somebody go talk to Jesus. There's some people who are hurting. There's some situations that look just seemingly hopeless and complicated. Just somebody tell Jesus about it. Somebody talk to him on behalf of these families. So their perspective was, you love this guy, and he's sinking fast, and this is serious. But let's look at the perspective of Jesus. That's when we leave it in his hands. Our perspective is accurate to a point, and theirs was accurate, but ours is often incomplete. Notice the perspective of Jesus. When Jesus heard that in verse 4, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. God will get the glory from this, he said. Wow, what an eye-opener. What an eye-opener. This looks bad. Nothing but negative looks here. There is nothing good in this situation. You have to acknowledge the fact. You know, you can't just be, you know, just... Just unrealistic and say, oh, it's not that bad. Everything will turn out all right. It would not turn out all right. It was bad. It was serious. And it was painful. And Jesus looked at it and said, as painful as this is, and as uncomfortable as this is, and as tragic as this seems, God can get the glory from this. You remember back in chapter 9, verse 1, there was a blind man and the disciples said, this is horrible, Jesus. Whose fault is this? He says, this is nobody's fault. God can get the glory from this. That's the perspective of Jesus. An undeniably painful, negative experience. It's common to everyone at one time or another. God can bring to a positive result from that. You remember the apostle Paul I'll just paraphrase in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He said, man, I had an illness or a, a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. It was some sort of physical problem. He said, no, I had an infirmity. I, I, I had this problem. And I asked God three times that we would get rid of it. Three times I asked God, God, this hurts. I mean, thorns hurt. So we know it's something that caused him some pain. He said, in all different times, he said, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm getting glory out of this. And you know what Paul said after that? He said, so therefore, I'm going to glory in my infirmity. I'm going to glory in the sickness that I may have because God can get the glory out of this. And then in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 20, he said, I'm praying that God will be magnified in my body, whether it be by my life or by my death. Oh, the worst possible thing that could happen. The tragic, looks like a, the most unhappy ending that Paul says, I'm, I'm going to die because of this. He said, it's a happy ending when God gets the glory, and even if it's by my death. He gives them a more accurate perspective than they had. Lazarus is sick, and he said this, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. This sickness is not unto death. Now, you look at this and say, wasn't he way off base? Because they're saying Lazarus is sick, and he said, this sickness is not going to end in death. Well, let's look at some math. 
we know that Lazarus had been in the grave four days. Four days. This was mentioned in the narrative. This was mentioned by Martha. The messenger comes to Jesus. Took a day to get there. Tells Jesus about Lazarus' sickness. Jesus stays where he is two more days. Then says, let's go back to see Lazarus. Fourth day. Jesus shows up at the tomb. You do the math back and you realize Lazarus died before the messenger got to Jesus. Lazarus died the day sometime before the messenger got there. How do we know that? Jewish custom is someone dies, preferably you bury them before sundown the same day. Very well could have happened that the funeral was the very first day. So we realize by the time the messenger got there, knowing what we know about this, at the very least, whether the funeral happened or not, Lazarus had already passed away. And we know that Jesus is aware of this because no other messenger comes, and two days later he says, Lazarus is dead. When Jesus said, this will not end in death. Jesus already knew that Lazarus was dead. Why the delay? Why the delay? Well, here's a Jewish belief. He said this is for God to get the glory, undoubtedly to get the glory. The Jewish belief about death was this. Someone dies. They're buried. The soul of that person, this is Jewish, but this has nothing to do with Scripture. So don't say, well, uh, Brother Eric said the Bible says. No, the Bible didn't say this. This was a Jewish tradition at that time. Jewish tradition was that the soul would hover around the body for three days just in case it could re-enter the body. And that may have happened because people they thought were dead were just in comatose or something. But they thought, before three days were up, there was a likelihood that just naturally, spontaneously, the soul would get back into the body. But now after three days, you were irreversibly dead. After three days, on the fourth day, the body was uninhabitable, obviously because of decomposition. So Jesus delayed it. So on the fourth day when he showed up, when he went to that tomb, there was no doubt in anybody's mind. This was not some kind of trick. Lazarus just hadn't swooned. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus hadn't cooked up the whole plan for some sort of hoax here because Martha said, hey, there's evidence here that he's been dead for four days. She said, you don't want to roll back the stone. There's evidence here. He's been dead for four days. Everybody here knows that. So we realize he delayed, so undoubtedly God would get the glory. But then he shows us this. When he says, our friend Lazarus sleeps, I'm going to go wake him up. He reminds them what had not changed. I mean, a lot had changed. Mary and Martha's world had been turned upside down, and Lazarus, when he said Lazarus is dead, 
you know, he, that had turned up. But here's something that had not changed, no matter what else had not changed. He said, our friend Lazarus. He didn't say Lazarus is dead. He said, our friend Lazarus is, is, is sleeps. And he, he meant he was dead. Our friend Lazarus. Now, what had not changed? What had not changed was the preciousness of their relationship with Lazarus. Now, in their perspective, Lazarus had died. But Jesus reminded them, yes, even though Lazarus is in that grave, what he is to us will never change. He's always our friend. And death can't take that. Death can't take the preciousness of that relationship. Death hasn't changed that. Yes, Lazarus is not with us anymore, but he's still our friend. And that is still a blessing you'll always have from now on. I ran across a reading years ago. Can't remember where it was, but I jotted it down and I jotted who said it. And I actually had it typed up and I keep it, I keep it uh, in, in my pastor's manual that I have. And I always keep it and I refer to it often. Let me read this to you. Because sometimes we're prone to think of all the beautiful things about the people we love as being gone when they're gone. In uh, Henry Scott Holland, who was a clergyman sometime in the years past, the, the past century, said this, Whatever we were to each other, that we are still. Call me by my old familiar name. Speak of me in the easy way which you always used. Laugh as we always laughed at the little jokes that we enjoyed together. Play, smile, and think of me. Let my name be ever the household word that it always was. Life means all that it ever meant. It is the same as it ever was. Death has not changed what we are to each other. And we don't avoid the person's name in conversation. He said, I'm still part of your life. Lazarus was still part of who they were. He was still part of the blessings they enjoyed. Our friend, Lazarus, even though he was dead, Death was not his identity. His identity was still he was their friend. And then one other detail. This is where we start to wrap it up. I can't get to the rest of the story, but I want to do this detail. Let's do the math again. Let's do the math again. The messenger comes to Jesus. By the time he gets to Jesus with the news that Lazarus is sick, Lazarus had already died, right? We kind of get the idea, and this is how our brains do it. Messenger goes to Jesus. They're looking for Jesus to come. Jesus doesn't come. Messenger comes back and says, Jesus said, don't worry about it. This won't end in death. And then Lazarus dies, and they have their funeral, and Jesus finally shows up. That's not what happened. That's not what happened. Messenger comes with the message. Lazarus is sick and sinking fast. And Jesus says, this will not end to death, but God will get the glory of it. Now, what Jesus was saying is this. Death is not the end of this story. When did they get the message? We know by Jewish tradition and culture, by the end of the second day, they had already had the funeral. They had already had the funeral, and then the messenger comes up, and tells Mary and Martha, you know what Jesus said? Death is not the end of this story. 
of all times we need to hear this message from Jesus when we face the death of a loved one. Death is not the end of this story, is it? For the believer, death is not the end of the story. You might think the message was one day too late for the Mary and Martha, but that's exactly when they needed to hear the words of Jesus. Yes, we suffer loss and we suffer sorrow and we suffer grief, but death is not the end of the story, is it? For the child of God, it's just the beginning of the story. Now, of course, you know how this story ends. Lazarus was brought out of the grave. A very notable miracle. But up till now, they're in grief. And the message they get after their funeral is this. Death's not the end of the story. For the Christian, that's a wonderful, wonderful thought. Lazarus was sick, but Jesus loved him. And Jesus sent a comforting message to them. They really didn't understand it then. We understand it now, don't we? We know that our loved ones, this story's not going to happen like it did with Lazarus. But you know what? Whether we've lost our loved one this year, last year, two years ago, for our loved ones, that's not the end of the story, is it? What a comforting thought. What a word that Jesus said. We see the wisdom of the Master. As we prepare for an invitation of him, just ask for, if you have a need in your life, a hurt, you need to talk to Jesus. Why don't we talk to him about it now? Now, maybe you're the messenger. And during this time of invitation, you say, I know some people that are hurting really bad. I'm going to be that messenger. I'm going to talk to Jesus about it. Not because he doesn't already know, but it sure is good to know somebody's talking to Jesus about your hurt. Maybe you don't know Christ as your personal Savior. Oh, you need the message of comfort that death is not the end of the story for the believer. You need to know without a doubt who you belong to because sickness is coming to all of us. Jesus loves you because you are frail. Don't miss the opportunity to trust him as we stand and sing. Something.